Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. What a poppy, boppy way to start the show. Metrospective edition of Trots Live. It's the Monday after... The weekend before, what a big build-up to the Victoria Cup card, and it delivered Steve Cleave. You had the pleasure, in a way, of not working on the night and sitting back and soaking it all in, and I'm sure that's exactly what you did. Yeah, g'day, Bon. It was a terrific night's racing. I, I did sort of have the pleasure of sitting back and watching, but I had a little bit of FOMO because uh, they're the nights that we really want to be involved in, and uh, I would have been just as happy getting in with you guys and uh, enjoying it on that side of the fence as well. But it was a terrific night's racing, and as we go through the card, it's, uh, yeah, we'll have some great runs and some... Uh, I've got a few black bookers that I think we can pull out of the meeting too. That's not bad. It's probably uh, you would think this this isn't really necessarily the meeting where you'd be finding black bookers, but then you realise... There are big, big races right around the corner. A few of the races, of course, on Saturday night, even though we had the Derby final and uh, the Oaks final on the Victoria Cup. Um, there were races where, you know, horses came through that and we'll be racing again in similar grade in coming weeks. So a few grand finals, but even in the grand finals, we've, uh, we might have black bookers because there's an Inter-Dominion series right around the corner. And in, in the case of Rock and Roll Do... Uh, there's a New Zealand Cup. I'm just started, or I've just started writing the uh, the articles, sort of how to sum up the meeting. And I tell you what, what really stands out to me before we get stuck into the first cleavy is that it wasn't that long ago. So <clears throat> Miracle Mile comes to an end. Lock and Varart's off the scene. King of Swing retires, leaves his horseshoes in the track at an angle for the final time. And you're thinking to yourself, where does our next champion come from? And then I think we. Um, we moved on to Ladies in Red, particularly after she beat the boys in the Rising Sun during the Queensland, Queensland Carnival and sort of put the promotional burden on her shoulders. But Rock and Roll Do has gone in the last probably, you know, six weeks or so from being, you know, one of the potential possible hopeful maybe players to be our headline horse, our champion, to absolutely declaring himself, I am I'm better than the rest and you can, you can hitch your wagon to me for the next... I don't know, at least 12 months. Yeah, no, absolutely. What he'd done, he's, he's just come through this prep. Amazing. He's had the perfect lead in the Vic Cup, which uh, put him on my top pick for the the race. And he's just gone strength to strength. We we look back at uh, one of his earlier runs at Melton when he'd done things wrong off the gate. He sort of got his head up. And I suppose you weren't looking at him at that stage as being a, uh, a Victoria Cup winner, but... You know, he came out and he's won his next three or four since then and, and really put a stamp on himself. And I reckon, look out, Kiwis, the way he won the Kilmore Cup 
and again, the way he won the Victoria Cup, they were with absolute dominance and arrogance. And I think look, they're going to have to be at their very, very best to beat him. I don't think they will. I think if he turns up any steps, the mood he's in at the moment, I, I don't think... I don't think anyone's beating him because even his wins, uh, as, as, as great as his win in the Caduceus Classic was, as great as his Kilmore Cup was, that was a whole other level. I, I, that was just, it was just amazing. He just ate them alive on Saturday night. Yeah, he certainly did. And, and look, hats off to Mick Stanley. He's done a great job with his horse, but he drove that horse an absolute 12 out of 10 Saturday night, moving around to the death. If you go and watch the replays, he was in no hurry. He, he could not have got to the desk seat any slower than what he did. He was happy to sit back and just let the pace come out of the race. He knew exactly when to pull the trigger, and it was absolutely great to see. He just, you know, charged away up the straight. There's a couple of really good runs behind him, but he was by far the best horse there that Saturday night. All right, we will play uh, the audio of the Victoria Cup and the post-race interview conducted by Gareth Hall with uh, Mick Stanley a little bit later. We know the plans are to go to New Zealand. I reckon the plane will be leaving sometime this week to head him over to uh, to New Zealand. And I think, I think we'll be winning the New Zealand Cup if he steps on that occasion. But race one, this was the only race we didn't get on the, um, on the very well-received Racing.com coverage on Saturday night. It was won by He's Ideal. I'll be honest, I was – I declared him the start before and he'd won comfortably, but I was I was risking him on Saturday night. But he's just – he's obviously – he's a good horse again, a proper good horse. Another one for Emron Clayton. Yeah, just another one in the, in the mix. But, no, he is the real deal. But I think Saturday night was a sort of a D-day for that. As you said, he wasn't winning dominantly or probably getting a little bit easier – previous but with the barrier draw he had number five on the second row he had to earn that win Saturday night and he didn't just earn it he he just dominated that it was really strong he, he settled in the running line got moving on when they entered the back the first time but once he got around and sat parked it was uh it was up to him to then just control the speed and and gee when Mark said let's go he really knuckles down hard he he's certainly got a bright future in front of him Maybe that is actually I, – I nearly thought he looked – part of the reason I was potting him is that he, he he looked a little bit disappointing, even though he won really comfortably the previous start. But it's almost like he really enjoyed um, being the one that had to bore it up them on Saturday night. And even though the lead time wasn't quick, 46-1, uh, they did set the tone for the night here, 29-2, 29-2, 27-8, 28-1. So it was a very genuine tempo after a pretty slow lead time and, and a good mile rate of 155-2. So – he might be another one of those horses that, and again, he did win comfortably and he's won comfortably in front on a few occasions, but he seemed to really enjoy, okay, um, I've got a switch on here. I've got one to chase down. And he just went after, he went after the leaders in um, in pretty devastating fashion. Yeah. And like he's run his own last mile in 153.5, Jeez. you know, so that's going and not no other horse in the race broke 154 for their last mile so it's uh it shows you sort of how strong he actually is and and like you said when he's out in front he, he just sort of looks a little bit maybe he gets a little bit lost in front but sitting out in the death seat he sort of gets that aggressiveness and says right i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure i beat you and uh and that's a sign of a good horse and i think you'll see him going through his grades pretty quickly a couple of disappointing runs probably at the back i thought that the last chance was racing really well uh things didn't work out for him valachi as well bongiana so there were a few that i was disappointed in but was there a black booker for you in the opening event clevy 
not a black booker. I was very happy with uh, Aussie Playboy. I thought he stuck to his guns really well after doing an early uh, move around the field. Interesting to note, um, I was a little bit like you. I was a bit disappointed in a few of those. And on paper, you sort of could be, but the last chance, you know, it's still gone 154.7 its own mile rate. It's third quarter, it's gone 27.2 uh, and then 28.46 home. Uh, Valachi, you know, he still run his middle half in 56.87, um, last half in 56.09. So although it looked probably disappointing, the times sort of say they're still going good enough. It's not like yeah. they've actually gone off. But, you know, Villauchi was off the bit and chasing down the back, just couldn't go with that 27-8. I think he likes, you know, when they burn hard early and then he's a sweeper getting home late. I, I think he just was going as quick as he could. But the, the front runners were doing the same, which made him look sort of a little bit worse than maybe they were. And October rain even was the same. You know, they're finishing out the back, but, their times actually say they've gone still pretty good for, for their own individual runs. One race down, 10 races to go. We are reviewing a magnificent night of racing at Tabcourt Park on Saturday night. And when we return, pull the other leg, gets the job done on the second event on the card. Cleavy and I will talk about that. Stick with this retrospective edition of Trot's Life right here on SEN Track. Welcome back to the Monday retrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 Boom, there's a drop. Race two. Melton, Saturday night, Victoria Cup night. Pull the other leg. We had a little uh, a little catch-up. Well, a pre-recorded story with uh, Tom Batchelor, who is the nephew of Leon Cameron, went up with Dan Malecki, wants to be involved in racing. Maybe he's a race caller, a really lovely young kid. He told me when I walked him up to uh, Dan Malecki's caller's box the previous week, I said, you're, you know, I, I, I'd interviewed him on air on Trots Vision and said, you're a bit of a swagger, aren't you, mate? And he said, don't worry, I've got a little brother named Will, puts me to shame, so... He might be Ian Buckett and Will might be catch a wave. We'll, we'll find out. But um, race two, pulled the other leg, gets the job done. This got me back on track. Ended up paying, I think, remarkably well under the circumstances and just totally controlled things. They just walked in front early here, Steve. Oh, absolutely. I uh, I thought he was one of the best bets of the night with his barrier draw. And he's so good when he's out in front. And at one stage we got on, it was $4.10. And I just couldn't believe how big odds he was. I was starting to worry that maybe... I'd sort of missed something in, in the form or the speed maps or something because I just couldn't believe he's getting out to such good odds. But once they'd gone 400 metres, I'm like, gee, I wish I'd had the house on him. I mean, getting away with a 32-1 first quarter and then a 30.5 second quarter, the race was over. I couldn't see anyone being out running. 28-1 third quarter, 26-7 home, just made it absolutely impossible for anything to come from behind and beat him. And uh, Kate, she's she's one of our best drivers and she just rates him absolutely beautifully out in front. Oh, she had one hell of a night too, didn't she, Kate Gath? Um, and it, well, when you're running those sectionals, those splits, 46-7 into 32-1 into 30.5, incredibly hard to make any ground. So Argyle behind the leader runs second. Blitzen, three poles, runs fourth. LB2 chains was... So the reason Paul the other leg got out is that LB2 Chains was backed to the exclusion virtually late. They just hammered LB2 Chains. And under the circumstances, he couldn't have gone a hell of a lot better, could he? Because 
Um, he was sitting in there. You wondered whether with all the money he might lead. He had a crack at that. It didn't quite work out. Probably didn't want to be in the breeze uh, first up from a break, boring it up, pulled the other leg. So ultimately just sat back in the slipstream one by one. But that that will any place off the pegs, in fact, any place other than being in front just wasn't the place to be in this race, Clevy. No, 100%. As I said, he's done a good job being the only one off the pegs to fill the first four placings. But I've got a black booker in this race, and uh, it's not very often you can black book a horse that's run last. But Neurotech Prince has absolutely smashed the clock um, and, yeah, ran ran last. But just going through his times, his first quarter was the fastest of all horses at 31.9, then 30.2 for his second quarter, 27.2 his third quarter, 27.14 his fourth quarter. He's gone 156.28, which was the fastest Mile, last mile in the race, and yet he's run last. So, uh, look, he's not going to be much odds. He was $3.10 favourite there Saturday night, so I don't think we're going to get a lot of value about him. But he was the one that smashed the clock out of that race on Saturday night. Yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting. They they even scoped him, which, you know, you're calling him the run of the race. Well, he he got queried and got scoped. He runs last, but you're right. It was uh, There was nothing wrong with the run. And I, I do suspect it'll be interesting to see how it works out in the – in the broad context of time, but he's he's very much a horse. I think he was going to be at his best and always has been. If he's in be- even better races than this, with decent draws, suck runs, one go at him. Just uh, yeah. very, very, very – he's not the kind – the reason I think we were both – part of the reason we were both keen on pull the other leg, Clevy, is because you looked at the race and if pull the other leg led as we expected, well, where was the pressure coming from? And I'll tell you – a great measure or example of this is that Lovin' a Chevy, who is no breeze horse, and even in his younger days was never a breeze horse, is the one who ended up outside the lead because nobody else wanted to be there. Yeah, 100%. And once he got there, that, that was it. There was no moves. Nobody else wanted to go around, and that just allowed Kate to dictate the terms because even with Lovin' a Chevy there, he certainly wasn't going to be putting any pressure on. And he's done a terrific job to sit there and get beaten less than 10 metres at 100 to 1. So uh, you can't knock the old boy on his run. Getting back to Narratak Prince, if you have a look at the replay, he was four and five wide around the home corner, you know, when they're running 26 sevens, and he was making ground, but then peaked on his run, you know, down the home straight, and he wasn't knocked around by Mark. So I think uh, there's a few in that race, you know, as I said, you, you can't really put lines through them or ticks through them because of how the race was run. It was always just going to be a leaders-dominated race, but uh, he's the one that I've picked out just on the sectionals. And I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you what, what, one of the great highlights, I think, of the uh, Racing.com coverage, and a reason why I think, and I, I suspect this will happen, but that we have a roving camera out there for Trot's vision on a far more regular basis, is so in this race, there are a couple of things you needed to know. One of them was... Uh, Argyle had pretty good gate speed. Uh, was Nathan Jack going to try and kick up and hold, pull the other leg in the early stages? No, I'm not, basically. I'll be handing up. LB2 chains. Reese Nicholson, are you declaring this one? He's going great, but I'm not declaring him. Um, what else did we get out of the race? Julie B. Nitro. We already thought this. Jason Lee. Um, Julie B. Nitro is quick enough to cross them all, but you've made a pretty considered decision uh, not to do that anymore with this horse because he goes best when he does nothing early. Yep, we'll be going back and driving conservatively as per standard. And Gareth Hall did a great job all night going out there and getting that information. But, you know, on every Saturday night, 
many nights during the week and certainly in feature meetings, Cleavy, you sort of go in thinking, I want to have a really good bet if I can find these two or three things out. And when you've got that roving camera and the access to the participants who are so wonderful, uh, you being on both sides of the fence, like it makes a world of difference, doesn't it? Because if you if you already had $20 on pull the other leg, after you'd heard all those interviews, you wanted to have an extra 20 or maybe even a pineapple, I would have thought. Yeah, no, 100% there. We've been saying it for a while. It's uh, It'd be lovely to get more and more of that because – as much as we can do our form, the punters do their form, there is nothing more important than being able to get that last minute tip off the driver. Are you going forward? Are you not? You know, as I said, we can say they are, and then they go back. So the only person that really does know is the guy in the sulky. If he can give us that lead in that uh, can make you then work out how you see that race playing out, it's it's absolutely invaluable. And like I said, when you're getting $3.80, uh, you know, about pulling out the leg, who you just knew was going to find the front without any hassles at all, it, it was crazy odds. And here was an example in race three, the, uh, the mate mine Callum, which is leg one of the Elizabeth Clark Triple Crown Series for the Mayors, where I didn't tip ladies in red, but basic, I did tip ladies in red, but really, again, on the broadcast, was shouting from the rooftops and, and sort of Adam Hamilton was in concurrence that 140 against $5 definitely, definitely thought tough till he could win. And I'll tell you, I'll give you an amazing stat here, Clevy. So ladies in red has started $1.40 here, tough till he $5. That's the make mine Cullen. Their previous meeting was in the APG Mayor's Final uh, for four-year-olds at Group 1 level. 140 against 550. So it was virtually exactly the same market profile. But Tough Tilly, now ladies in red's gone enormous, absolutely enormous. But Tough Tilly has now beaten her on three occasions. There isn't a million miles between them. And I always talk about the impact of the 1,720 metre journey for a variety of reasons. One is you're far less likely if you, if you find the front to hand up. And if you can control things over the mile, the horse chasing you has only got – there's only two decisions. One is I'm going to go frenetic and fast and turn this into a staying test or I've got to get up outside of you and and try and out-sprint you. And neither of those jobs are easy to do, even if you're a good horse. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Fon. And something you've got to look at, I, I think doing our form now with Trot's vision, I've probably got into it a lot more than what I ever did, but individual sectionals for horses um, – can give you a real different reading on how the horse has gone than just looking at the results or just watching the race. And, you know, you talk about ladies in red. So the winner, Tough Telly, she's led. She's gone 151 for her mile rate, her last mile in 152.1. And then ladies in red has gone a 151.5 mile rate, her last mile in 151.1. So she's gone a second quicker and couldn't beat her, she's covered 15 more metres than Tough Tilly by having to sit outside of her. So anyone who goes, oh, ladies in red wasn't as good as she can be because she couldn't beat Tough Tilly, you break that down to individual sectionals and you go, no, hang on a second, she's still gone absolutely humongous. But then go another step further, my next black booker, because this one smashed the clock, and that's treachery. She's come from well back. She's ran her last mile in 150.86. 
She's covered 22 metres further. She's gone 26.8 down the back, 26.28 home. To be able to pull off 226 quarters is just amazing. 53.08 for her last half. Ladies in red, 54.01. And Tuck Tilly, 54.15. So she's gone a full second quicker for her last half, which is just amazing. Well, and we've spoken about this uh, so much for so long, but we can't stop, right? The first five runners home are all part of that golden generation of four-year-old mares. And if you flip ladies in red and tough till you're around, they've probably gone in the exact order nearly that they've been all the way through. Doug's babe in moments like these might disagree with that, the connections of the two, I don't know. But at the end of the day, and you, you've made some excellent points, no doubt about it with the sectionals, but... When you look at when you're actually going into a race, you you've got to factor in that that ladies in red, unless for whatever reason there's some sort of unforeseen mid race hand up, is going to have to do that work. And I think one one thing, so there's been this huge promotional push for ladies in red, and I totally understand why. Particularly going back to what I spoke about earlier, you lose a king of swing, Lock and Vara, You don't know where he's at, and then he's now off to America and he's landed safely. I saw from Team Tritton on Twitter this morning. But you're trying to look for who's our headline horse. Ladies in red, what we actually did on the coverage on Saturday night was to try and, in a way, dull expectations about her having to win this race to prove that she's good to go. Because Tough Tilly, make no mistake, there'd be two or three of these, including Treachery, that if you threw them in against the boys now, they none of them would be far away. So ladies in red is the best of them. But none of them would be far away. Tough Tilly's a really, really good mare. And you've already outlined treachery. Just absolutely enormous. And incredibly, that's the first time she's ever been beaten over a short course trip. So it was eight from eight prior to that. What we really want to see now as we move forward to leg two, Clevy, is for treachery to draw the front row. Yeah. And for maybe both of the others to draw the second row. And let's, let's say game on. Yeah, no, 100%. I think if Treachery had drawn a lot closer, you know, imagine if she was on Tough Tilly's back, you know, she or she may not have even handed up to Tough Tilly if she had drawn the front because she's got tremendous gate speed. And, uh, yeah, she's certainly right up there with them. And, and like you say, you know that Ladies in Red was going to have to probably sit parked and that's where you've got to work out, like, okay, does she have you know, that high speed to be able to still run down a horse like Tough Tilly out in front? So you can't expect that, they're just going to be dominant no matter where they sit. And again, Kate Gath in front, you, you don't get many better leading drivers. And she rated that horse to absolute perfection. 28-3 first quarter, 29-7, just got a beautiful little breather there. 27-4 made ladies in red really start working. 26-7 home. So, you know, when they drive them that way, it's just nearly impossible to, to beat the horse in front. Absolutely, and I reckon as we go to the news, the other uh, tick out of the race for mine, and, and this will sound a bit funny, but moments like these finishing fifth, only 15.2 metres off the winner and only four metres off uh, Doug's Babe, and I'll tell you why, because the troll I saw from moments like these, I thought we're in trouble here. We are in, we, we could be in big trouble this preparation. She might have gone off, but that was an indication um, that that's probably not the case, and if that was her first up run, again, you'd almost like to see... <laughs> just like two divisions play out over the next uh, coming weeks where you've got ladies in red, treachery, um, bring back Joanna, tough Tilly, even beach music and have them in one division and horses like Doug's babe in moments like these get their chance to 
go head-to-head and have their own private wars. Let's go to the news, find out what's happening in the world, come back, talk about the Group 2. We're getting bigger and bigger. Group 3 into Group 2 and then very soon Group 1. The race we'll be discussing straight after the news is the VHRC Caduceus Homefield. There was a lot going on. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 I think this song might have been written by Plymouth Chubb. <laughs> Maybe I'm a fighter. What about the voice situation? You can't take the wins off him. He just keeps winning. And I tell you what, there'd be a couple of uh, a couple of connections. Joey Pace, Jimmy Herbertson, Harry Stamper, Andy Galino, Nathan Jack, Cravash Door. This is the whole thing about um, hypotheticals in races, isn't it, uh, Clevia? I mean, you look at it and you'd, you can make an extremely strong case. And I'm sure both of those uh, connections probably would say, well, if we didn't gallop, we win. We'll never know because Plymouth Chubb again did win. Yeah, correct. It's uh, it's always ifs, buts and maybes. And at the end of the day, they didn't. So it all comes down that uh, Plymouth Chubb was the winner and, and really well driven by Kez. And it, it's hard to know. I mean, I know they, they were making ground fast and it looks eye-catching, but this horse, Plymouth Chubb, I, I, we black-booked him after his second run back in because he ran third. Uh, sorry, he ran second, got beaten a, uh, a head uh, that night and he was Four lengths back at the 400-metre mark, and he's gone three wide and sprinted quicker than I've ever seen him sprint before. He's normally pretty tough out in front and running, and they went 28-2. He made up four lengths to just get beaten. So he's got a high turn of speed about him. And you look at the run Saturday night, Kez got to the front, which you sort of knew was going to plan out that he'd find the front of Harry Stamper, and then we think Harry Stamper will just peel off and, and beat him sprinting-wise. But... Kez got away with a 32-6 and a 33-3, 28-7 and 27-2. So it'd just be very interesting to see whether they could have actually got past him or not because she just got away with such an easy time out in front. And as I said, his sprint this time in is much, much quicker than I've seen him sprint previously. So it's all this buts and maybes, but at the end of the day, Plymouth Chubb got away with another win to the board. I don't think uh, – who knows – I don't think I, – I know Nathan believes that Cravashtor was going to win. I don't think Cravashtor was going to beat Plymouth Chubb because if you watch the race, if you watch those concluding stages, Plymouth Chubb goes into another gear in the final 100 metres as well. He sort of – he sort of um, he was slightly scratchy getting around the turn and then uh, and then that last 100 metres when Kez really, really got stuck in. Um, Plymouth Chubb bursts home, 27-2 home as you mentioned – uh, Harry Stamp is the the, uh, the harder one to analyse because he he couldn't have got things better. They backed him hard, one dollar seventy behind the leader. So much pre race discussion. Um, will he go left back into the sprint lane? That's a problem. But he didn't have to worry about that. And then it was just so sad. He just sort of clipped the wheel a little bit of uh, Plymouth Chubb out in front. But um, we're going to have to wait for another day, aren't we? And that's the beauty of it. There's so many big races coming up for the three year old trotters and. And now everyone's going to have their own opinion. Some people are going to be with Plymouth Chubb again going forward. Some people Cravash, some people Harry Stamper. So it's certainly going to be good for the narrative. It wasn't great for the punters or for the spectacle on Saturday night, but it'll be very good for the narrative going forward. 
Yeah, 100%. We always like it when you get a couple of horses going head-to-head. And uh, I agree. I reckon uh, Plymouth Chubb's last 100 was his quickest 100 there. So um, I've got a big question mark whether they would have beaten him or not, or especially I don't think Cravashdor would have um, had it not galloped and Harry Stamper. We just won't know until next time. So uh, like a few of these races going forward, if uh, draws change and and that sort of thing, it's going to make racing really interesting as we go into our our Excellent summer carnival. Yeah, and, and uh, Kyvelli Piero, um, yes, Courage Stride second, more wanted third. So as per usual, the, the Chris Lang train runners all did trot all the way. Um, those two here, and, and they ran second and third. It was not great for my trifecta there because I had Courage Stride, basically just wanted Courage Stride to run second, but needed Cravash or, or Harry Stamper. If one of them had stayed in gate, everything would have been okay, A-okay, but it wasn't to be the case. Let's go to the quaddy. Race five, first leg. Garrards, horse and hound for your best dog at your lowest prices. Popular arm, free for all at group three level. And this was the highlight of my night from a yeah. punting and tipping perspective. And uh, and I reckon, I reckon uh, that, so there's very, there's always very, there's, it gets a bit mythical, doesn't it? If you don't see what a horse opened up, exactly what they did. But I think with Tab, you got $51 about Crime Rider when it opened. And I reckon, and I, I've just been black booking this horse week in, week out, and I reckon you have too, uh, Clevy. And uh, I think with another wagering operator, maybe even 70-plus was offered. Well, he started $7. And I'll tell you what, Clevy, watching the race, well, there were two things, weren't there? One, the speed was perfect for us that were on Crime Rider. But two, people who don't know much about the trots or much about this horse would have seen him sort of seemingly plodding and grinding home and thought, well, he's not going to get there. I couldn't have been more confident a long way out that he actually would get there in the finish. Yeah, I'm not a, a big punter, but um, I actually got got a bit lucky with this bike. I got on him at uh, 21s and then a little bit more at 17s and then a little bit more at 12. So I had a terrific night with just the two bets on uh, him and pull the other leg and as you said, we've been black booking him and his times at Kilmore were just, again, getting back to those individual splits, absolutely sensational. And his, his times were way better than Tango Tara's. You know, he, he made up so much more ground her Tango Tara did at Kilmore and yet I couldn't work out why there was so much disparity in the odds. You know, Tango Tara sent out favourite. I know he's going to find the front, but he's no dead set certainty just because he's out in front. We needed a good drive from uh, Matthew Craven and and 10 out of 10. I I knew he was best to get a card up, but I was worried down the back when he didn't come out uh, without a trail thinking, geez, if he doesn't get out, we're in a lot of trouble here. But he got out beautifully and and uh, got the trail up uh, on our millionaire's back. And as you said, with 100 to go, you just knew he was going to keep, you know, digging deep and hitting the line strong, which he did. And uh, it's a, a well-deserved win. And I, I know a lot of people that actually backed him. So there was plenty of happy people around. And uh, our millionaire was brave in defeat. I've actually got him as my black booker out of this race. He uh, ran his last half in 55.96. Um, one fifty-two-seven mile. So he's uh, he's going absolutely super, and he's had to do all the bullocking work up front. He 
he just went for home maybe a little bit early and uh, then just got run down in the last sort of 50 metres. But uh, it was a terrific run by both those two horses. And Tango Tara stuck on well for third. Better be the bomb, flashed home late, held up till sort of top of the straight, but got home really well. So he's still knocking on the door as well. We did get hammered in front. And I, look, I went through uh, – so part of my role on Saturday night was to go through the speed maps, um, then the critical replay – and the stats, which are, you know, are really important to me. Sometimes I go back and and want to know, um, you know, how horses have gone when they've led or in the trail, in particular certain draws, certain circumstances. And that's so earlier in the program with the mate mine Cullen, Tough Tilly had been the only horse to beat Ladies in Red on two occasions in her career. Here, Tango Tara, that's now he's been in front six times on Australian soil for one win and five placings. So, I mean, it all adds up, doesn't it? He's, he's the kind of horse who he, he finds just one or two better here. He did cop it early, 44-1. He got a breather, but the train just kept on coming around. Everybody felt there was a vulnerability, I think. Everybody, amazingly, with so many fresh runners in the race, everybody thought, I want to be in this contest. I've got to get rolling. And that was always uh, that was always the crime rider's advantage, obviously, yeah, with you totally, uh, Cleveland. I think everyone who backed Crime Rider was thinking we've got to get out of this situation because he began pretty well and then he just got shuffled. With all those moves, he got shuffled back to the one-by-three position. But when uh, Phoenix Prince couldn't keep the back of our millionaire when he took off and Crime Rider got out, you just thought, please, please dear Lord, this has got to work out. And it did. But our millionaire, you're dead right. What a, what a performance first up from a break. 55-3, searching run massive effort. Better be the bomb. And this is, again, no surprise. You're talking about going down from the absolute elite level. Copy that runs fourth in the Victoria Cup. We even go back to that race. Copy that wins. Crime Rider and Better be the, be the bomb finished second and third. Uh, the critical form ones. Crime Rider actually had the best form of anything in the race here. Um, Better be the bomb was very close up. He just didn't get a lot of luck in the concluding stages. I thought Major Jealous's run was full of merit. Uh, Phoenix Prince needed the hit out, obviously. Hooligan Ian was a bit disappointing. Uh, Longfellow was scoped. Uh, but really, um, well done to all the punters uh, that got on Crime Rider. I don't think I was on my Pat Malone. Was lucky enough to tip it on winners on Saturday morning on Channel 7 too, for those who tuned into that show. But I think there were a cavalcade of punters that took the 74s, the 51s, the 21s, the 16s, the 12s. It was still $12 in the morning and ultimately got down to six fifty or $7 when it won. And it... You already mentioned it, but a great story for Matty Craven. He probably, even though he's always got good horses around, there's probably been a couple that have gone off the boil. There was a point going back six months ago where obviously a virus was going through the stable and things weren't working out as well. But Matty Craven, is, he is a top horseman, isn't he? Yeah, no, he is a very good horseman and... Uh... You know, nothing gets left untouched too. He, you know, he goes over all the little one percenters, which is what does make you a good trainer. And these horses always look tremendous. And it's a terrible thing, the viruses. I've, you know, I've had plenty over the years and it goes through one and it just goes right through the whole stable and it can make you look bad, but there's sort of just nothing you can do about it. It's just the time of year or whatever. But the wheel always does turn and you see quite a few of the big stables will do it. They'll just have this terrible run of form and, and generally it's because of a virus or something like that. But then once that wheel starts turning and, and one starts going good, next thing you know, that whole stable's going good. And I think you'll find Maddie's team right now are all going pretty good. There's no doubt about it. Let's go for a break. Come back. 
We'll kick into the Group 1s. First of all, the down-by-the-seaside Victoria Derby final at Group 1 level. I got a few races right early doors. I couldn't have got this more wrong. Leap to fame eats them alive. We'll talk about that with Clevy in a moment. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Is that Billy? There's somebody else doing this. Uh, Dizzy G showed me the other day, trying to do the Billy Eilish stuff. It's, I'm telling you now, the, the sounds on these songs sounds like an old Nintendo video game. This is where she's actually dominated people. She's got into the headspace and taken the Japanese samples from Sega and Nintendo. Anyway, we can talk about that later. It's retrospective at the moment with uh, Steve Cleave. Ray Six, the first group one on Saturday night. Uh, leap to fame, just phenomenal. And there was so much discussion. I, I weirdly thought, uh, look, I don't know. I don't know if just running, 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 running is going to be the way to go. You might bring everybody else into it, but ultimately. What a great drive from Grant Dixon. He's done it so many times before. 28-8, 28-8, 27-5, To be honest, on the night, Cleve, we'll talk about Leap to Fame most of all, but on the night, because I declared Captain Ravishing, I thought, oh, that was disappointing. He's, he's gone wonderful. Like, he's, he's gone terrific, really, in the breeze. He, he certainly has. You just can't, again, we talk about it week in, week out. When, when the leader makes it mathematically impossible to win, you you just got to sit back and take a look at it from a different angle and not just say, yeah, gee, he's tired, he's ran fifth, he's got beaten 14.3 metres. But in saying that, he's he's actually covered 34 metres of ground. So he's covered more ground, got beaten. Yeah, it, it's just still a, a magic run to be able to go that far. The sectionals that they've ran, and uh, if you look at Leap to Fame, this is – a 2760 meter race. So we're not racing over the short, we're not racing over the medium. 57.6 first half, 56.3 middle half, 56.1 last half. Like you, you can't sit outside any horse or, and, and be able to run them down when they're running times like that. It was, I think you and Dan really spoke about it Friday morning. This was going to have to be at absolute drive to a T from Grant Dixon to make sure that, like you said, he didn't go too hard that brought the others into it, but doesn't go too slow that then lets Captain Ravishing out sprint him for high speed. And I think he just drove that an absolute perler. We were standing upstairs and I can tell you now there was a huge crowd and where we were, uh, all upstairs was chock-a-block and I reckon they got about 50 metres into the straight and everyone was applauding him all the way down the straight. It, it was impressive to watch and it was great to see the crowd there cheering him on and and not just cheering him on, but just started applauding. And, and yeah, it was totally different. He was just so dominant out there that night. First horse since Captain Joy to win three derbies. Um, only, the, only the really good horses do it. It's, he's and, – and I admit, like, we all got caught up in Captain Ravishing and – and understandably so. He'd come back from a break, changed tables and broken records at his first two runs back, and then was outrageous betting leap to fame at the head of the series. But um, sometimes we do, do we all do this in all forms of racing, in all forms of sport. The glamour gets to us, and um, and the the results sort of they take a secondary role, and they shouldn't. Leap to fame is like that's an amazing, phenomenal, incredible season, and it ain't over. It ain't over. Leap to fame. We'll be um, we'll be racing again 
in a couple of more big races before the season ends. Rip was terrific. Uh, Interest-free, good. He's a son of a gun, held up, flew home, was always going to. Uh, I had a place bet on him. He just wasn't able to quite get there. Captain Ravishing, absolutely massive um, and also has an enormous future. I'm just going to pose this one question, and we might actually discuss it when we come back from a break because we've got one more uh, break to clear before uh, we get to the noonday news. I'm not having a go at uh, I'm not having a go at at Mark Pitt really here, but because he's a, a terrific, wonderful, wonderful young driver, and it's easy to say this in hindsight. But if Captain Ravishing never goes to the breeze here, does Leap to Fame run along as quickly as he did in front? And if he doesn't run along as quickly as he does in front, if he does run along that quickly, does Captain Ravishing sit close enough and then peel off and? and potentially get a hell of a lot closer to keep to fame, Leap to Fame, maybe even beat him. And if Leap to Fame decides to sit up and says, well, Captain Ravishing's not here, I'll go I'll go a lot more slowly if he's not going to be up outside of me. Does Captain Ravishing then get the opportunity to peel out at the eight or 900 as he did at heat level and make life really hard on Leap to Fame that way just through pure speed rather than it becoming the staying test that it did on Saturday night? It's all academically, I understand that. But I just wonder a couple of times, everyone felt that it would be Leap to Fame in front, Captain Ravishing in the breeze, and so did I. I just wonder now that I reflect upon it, whether Captain Ravishing just doesn't sit off the speed and not allow Leap to Fame the right or the the privilege or the possibility of being able to chase uh, or run Captain Ravishing into the ground. Ultimately, though, like I say, three derbies, Leap to Fame, amazing, break time comeback. Steve Cleveland might be able to deal with that little question that I've posed, all those questions that I've posed when we return from a break. And then we've got plenty more big races to analyse, including three more Group 1s on this Metrospective edition of Trot's Life on SEN Track. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. Welcome back to Metrospective. We're uh, just getting ready to go to the news break. When we come back, I'll be uh, trying to dissect uh, Bond's questions about uh, could Captain Ravishing have won from a different position? It's a... it's an interesting concept, and when you go through all the times that they're running, it's certainly not going to be an easy one to dissect or get the answer right because uh, at the end of the day, we'll never know because it didn't happen. But uh, get back with us after the news break because we've still got some massive races coming up, including the Elder Power and Park, Bill Collins Sprint, the Group 1 for the Trotters, and then moving into the Victoria Cup. And we'll be back in a few minutes straight after the news break. Sorry, we're just a little bit early for the break there. So, yeah, make sure you come back and join Bon and I. We'll be, as I said, dissecting all the major Group 1 races for the rest of the evening from Victoria Cup Saturday night. You're listening to the Monday Metrospective with Jason Bonington on SEN Track. It's a damn anth- Welcome back. Hour two of Metrospective. Steve Cleave, have you got the answers that I require from the discussion around the derby final? Uh, look, I don't think we can answer them definitively because nope. it's so hard to do. But in saying that, I will say it would be extremely hard because no way Grant would have gone as hard as he did if Captain Ravishing wasn't outside of him. Go back to the week before. 
Leap to Fame's last half, 53-48. Captain Ravishing, 53-22. Can he come three wide? He'd have to... He'd have to be three wide for two corners, possibly, um, and then run a 53 half again and beat him. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say he couldn't have won it. Just barrier draw was just a killer. Yeah, yeah. Look, you're probably right. If it, I think if he'd, I think if he'd been able to settle in the run a bit closer, then. Uh, I mean, like I say, it's so easy in hindsight. You're not out there and all the rest of it, and I get it. But I think if he'd settled a little bit closer, just knowing, because even when we go through those sectionals from last week, we know if he'd gone a little bit straighter, that um, amazingly, staggeringly, mind-blowingly, Captain Ravishing could have gone even quite a bit quicker through that last half. But uh, look, again, as I say, these questions are just there to be posed. Leap to Fame was the winner. Amazing effort from uh, Kevin and Kay Seymour, who've given so much to the game, Grant Dixon, and ultimately, more than anybody, Leap to Fame, who is now a New South Wales, Queensland, and Victoria Derby king. More Group 1s. We move on to the Elder Baron Park. Bill Collins trotters sprint at Group 1 level, and, oh, this was just a peach of a drive, wasn't it, from Greg Sugars. He was able to get up outside the leader. He was confident. He said this was his best on the card in an interview right here on Trots Life on SEN track last week. And he just controlled the tempo. Queen Alita got a long way back. Um, Olavici was ultimately driven beautifully, although Chris Langan made it clear to Michael Guerin on track that they wouldn't be ultra-aggressive with Olavici, just desperate to find the front, and ultimately just believe was able to just... So Greg's got this right to it, like, to within an inch of a, a sectional, really, hasn't he, Steve? Because Olavici hasn't been beaten far, but Greg just pressed the button at exactly the right time, and ultimately, it's been um, it's been a wonderful transition. Mick Hughes did a great job with this horse, but Lara J Farm uh, do appear to have taken him to the next level. Yeah, hundred percent agree to there, Bon. It was a terrific drive by Greg, and any young drivers out there, they really need to watch these good drivers like Greg and that in these big races, and you can learn a lot from them. Just the way they they time their runs to perfection, and if you have a look. Going down the back, it was a little bit of a cat and mouse game and it, it really hurt uh, Queen Elida probably the most because Chris has gone three wide basically at the half but literally could not make any ground because Mufasa Metro then just popped out in front of him but didn't want to go because he wanted Olavici to go. Uh, Chris Lang knew that he didn't have to go because John was never going to go up and, and box him in and have to carry Queen Elida up on his own. So Chris Lang then waited till the last minute to actually move out. But then Greg knew that he didn't have to go because he felt that he had the leader covered. Sundance Courage who actually did finish off last. So that was never a worry for him. So he basically just said, well, while you guys are just playing Ducks and Drakes behind me, I'm going to sit here and just take full advantage of this. And then when they finally did peel off his wheel, then Greg said, well, all right, guys, you can just try to make some extra ground and catch me. And, you know, I mean, Olavici and Queen Elida have done a massive job to get as close as they did. But uh, really, the the win was, A, the horse, but B, the drive that Greg Shook has put in on him. Yeah, no doubt about it. Olavici was terrific again. Queen Elida was massive. This is going to be the difficult thing for Brent Lilly and Chris Alford <clears throat> now going forward with Queen Elida is I think, like, in my opinion, and I, I, it'd be very hard to make an argument that Queen Elida wasn't the run of the race here, right? Just doesn't win, but it's the run of the race. But 
I think now, and I, I think we definitely saw this Saturday night, and it was an extremely difficult watch for those of us who were on. Extremely difficult watch. But everyone now knows how good Queen Alita is and how far she is, Queen Alita, I should say. And they are going to drive to beat her or certainly not give her any favours to win these races anymore because of the awareness of how good she is, Clevy. It's a little bit like Bernie Winkle up at Mildura. He was unbeatable up there at one stage and then he became unwinnable because everybody worked out how to beat him and it was to drive in a certain pattern that just made it so hard to beat him. And and that's the same as where she is at the moment. She's going to find it hard unless they start driving her tough then she's going to have a lot of races where she'll be the eye catcher but not the winner. But, um, you know, right now I think Just Believes, you know, certainly as, as good as anything going around at the moment, heading towards Inner Dominion and especially uh, with the, the sad news that Mary Law uh, has been retired. Um, so he won't be going around, which is probably taking a little bit of pressure off Greg because he won't have to make that decision as to who he does drive. So uh, Just Believe just seems to be timing his run perfectly going into the big races. Olavici's just, you know, he's a machine. He's a beautiful horse. And to run into a half head was a terrific run. But as I said, the worrying part for that Queen Elida is, as you say, just that way they that, that they are driving her and how the other drivers can sort of drive to get her beat. Yeah, it's, it's going to make life hard. I still think she's the best of these. And there's a couple to come back. We've got to remember, just believe, uh, terrific when at group one level. But um, a gestuoso, and also I'm ready, Jed, who I think most people would agree were the benchmark pair um, for a long period of time, yep. um, following, you know, Tornado Valley leaving and Dance Craze and all the rest of it. Well, it's turned into those two, but Just Believe's got to be in the conversation now. Olavici is in the conversation, and Queen Elida's in the conversation. Even Mufasa Metro was good. Elder Baron Zeus is a little bit like Queen Elida, is a sit sprinter by nature, I think, but... They've, the funny thing is, and Clevy, they've both got gate speed, and I don't think, particularly with Queen Elida, has been a pretty considered decision not to use it too often. But it shouldn't be forgotten that if they need it in another big race somewhere, um, and they're drawn off the front, that both Queen Elida and Elder Baron Zeus have got the ability to put themselves in the right spots. So. I, I wouldn't be sort of ruling them. Even though they are better sit sprinters, I'll tell you what the best way to sit sprint is in a race, lead and take a trail. A hundred percent. And if you actually have a look at Baron Zeus, he's ran the fastest last half in that field in 56 flat. So, you know, he, he's drawn number four on the second row, barrier 11. If he draws one, sits leaders back, and he runs the quickest last half, then he's he's the winner. So, uh, yeah, you can't rule out those horses. They, they, you know, with the right run, they're every bit as good as the others. They're, they're up to it, but they do just need that right run in transit. Anything more to add on that Bill Collins trotter sprint before we head off to a break? That's about it from my point of view. Thanks, Bon. Yeah, I reckon. I, I mean, there were no, again, no terribly bad runs in the race. And and to be honest, those ones at the back, they're really, really good trotters, aren't they? Like Nephew Sunoco, whether he's going as well as he was, he probably isn't. Sundon's Courage in the same boat. Prisian Artiste needs a better draw. So uh, Have Horse Will Travel wasn't able to find the front. There were excuses for most of them. When we return... From our next break, coming up right now here on the retrospective edition of Trot's Life on SEN Track, we're going to hear the concluding stages of the Group 1 Grand Circuit Victoria Cup and also the words of elated trainer-driver Michael Stanley on the Racing.com coverage on Saturday evening. Back in a moment. 
Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 736. goes up to put it to expensive ego now. Honolulu Bay is coming out after him. Rock and Roll Do wanted to hang in. Expensive Ego kicked back, but Rock and Roll Do's now got the better of him. Honolulu Bay's down the outside. It's Rock and Roll Do in front, though. He got away on better eclipse. Honolulu Bay out wider, but it's Rock and Roll Do. Rock and Roll Do wins the cup. Second Honolulu Bay, third home better eclipse, and fourth copy that. I thought you had the lead to win a Victoria Cup, but this horse might be something quite special. I think he is. Um... We've been telling everyone that wanted to listen. Uh, Over a year now. And uh, I just said to Brittany before, like he's won his last two races in against this high quality with the earplugs in and running through the line. Um, I said to Brendan um, earlier in the week, I said, you know, they they can, uh, you know, everyone can talk about who wants to lead and that. I said, we'll be happy to to go and sit outside the leader because we felt we had the, the most versatile and the strongest horse in the race. And he seems like he's just working it all out. Yeah, it is. It's uh, you know, he obviously he's been a work in process, but mentally, um, you know, it's coming to him. He travelled so strong during the race tonight. Um, yeah, he he's a switched on racehorse. And now for a pack twenty thousand at Addington Racecourse, the Kiwis they can't beat Purden, um, but Rock and Roll do. We might have a horse that can go and conquer the Kiwis now. Oh well, that's a dream, isn't it? Um, you know, you don't get horses like this very often, and we know going over there will, will be no easy feat. Um, we're up for a challenge, um, you know, and he's earned his right to, to go and have a crack. And um, as I say, he, he doesn't need to, to win over there to, to make us proud, but I'm sure he will go there and, and do us proud. I've got no doubt he will. Uh, great words there from Mick Stanley chatting with Gareth Hall on that Racing.com coverage of the Victoria Cup meeting on Saturday night. And, um, well, he is the best now. He's our headline horse, Rock and Roll Do. Uh, not too many horses can sit parked and win Group 1 Grand Circuit races. That's exactly what he did, Steve Cleave. And uh, it was a monstrous win and an indication, sort of immediately in the postscript, an indication now, seemingly at least, that he is just better than everything else going around. Yeah, 100% agree with you there. And going into the race, really, he had, out of all the field, the perfect lead-up for the Victoria Cup. You know, his, his win in the Caduceus Classic was really good. His, his win in the Kilmore Cup was just astonishing, really. He was certainly, in my eyes, he was the horse to beat. Uh, I thought it was going to be a, a fight out between the two four-year-olds. And uh, to sit parked and win a Victoria Cup is... A big effort, especially outside a good horse like Expensive Ego and, you know, a few good horses coming off your trail. But this horse has only had 29 starts. So he's still a baby, really, when it comes to free-for-all racing. He, he's he's just got the world in front of him and he's in the absolute zone right now. And uh, as you say, if, if he steps and puts himself into the race in New Zealand, I, I really find it hard to to see him beating him. And I look, I, Mickey Gurham was there and... I bumped into him like literally just after they went over the line and I said, geez, I said, look at Kiwis, this bloke's, you know, going to give him a shake. And he turned to me and he goes, you're not bloody wrong. No. <laughs> so when Mick Guren's agreeing with you, you know, he, he knows New Zealand horses back to front ball, you know, that gives you a bit of confidence for Mick and the team to, to go over there and, and really do Australia proud. Well, I had a lot of good chats with Michael while he was over and he, um, like, 
the difference between the trotters and the pacers. So I think Michael's amazingly, amazingly keen that a uh, horse like Bolt for brilliance, if he comes over here, would win the Inter-Dominion trotting series. I don't think that I know that's his opinion. Um, but the pacers are a bit different, and rock and roll do. He'd be the one to beat. If he goes over there, he's well, he is. He's going over there Thursday morning. I texted uh, Michael Stanley a little earlier. Uh, Thursday morning is the flight, so... Once he lands, it's just going to be a matter of him settling in and acclimatising. And once you hear any good word that uh, he's eating up and he's enjoying the environment over there in New Zealand, uh, which I have in the past and many have in harness racing in the past, then he's the one to beat. There was a bit going on early here. Greg Sugars was very – he kept his cards close to his chest about what the plan was, but he said, I do have a plan. And amazingly, I think the Candyman executed that plan to a exactly what he wanted to do. I think he wanted to hold them all early, make expensive ego do a little bit of work, and then hand up to expensive ego thinking, well, I'll tell you what, I've got the run behind you, and you've been made to work, and you're potentially the horse to beat. But ultimately, expensive ego, who escaped after the race, I don't know whether this horse is cursed, lost two major races on protest, and then turns up here. Luke McCarthy was extremely, exceptionally confident that he was ready to roll, but... He just wasn't. Um, he wasn't. He wasn't there for the battle. I don't think, Clevy. No, it was interesting uh, when you look. I mean, Honolulu Bay come off the gate running, and uh, you know they've gone a forty-three-nine lead time, which is humming. Um, Better Eclipse is also part of that. You know, holding him out, and then Expensive Ego was working forward, but not. You know, in the burn, and then he's dropped out, and those other two horses have gone straight past him. It, it just puts a big question mark on where he's at at the moment, especially leading up towards the Inters. He's going to have to find uh, a fair bit to improve to be, you know, really competitive in that sort of racing. Um, you know, hopefully there is maybe a little virus or something going on to explain that run. But uh, as I said, rock and roll do. Mick drove him a treat. He just, the whole race, he just sat him in the exact right spot, put the pressure on at the right time did no work to get him around to the death seat. He, he just drove him, you know, as I said, 100 out of 10, you know, basically. You just couldn't wrap it up anymore. The horse has just gone brilliant. Honolulu Bay was excellent. I think we saw a, a little bit more dimension to him getting used off the gate this time, which they haven't been doing. Still finished the race off excellent. Better Eclipse, really good, working hard, as I said, at the start. Still managed to uh, punch through and, and get third spot. and. Other than Rock and Roll Do and Honolulu Bay, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh all come from the pegs. And, you know, again, that's that 27-6 third quarter, 26-8 fourth quarter. Nothing could make ground from behind. And yet the fastest clocked last half in the race was Max Delight. And he's finished 10th. But he's run his last half in 53-87. But when they run times like that up front, you just got no hope to get into it. So. I was just going to say, that's that, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, the, the lead time was relatively slick, but at that level, it probably wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, bone-breaking stuff where you just thought to yourself, they're totally gas. And then you only had to see the first section or the final mile pop up to know that those out the back were cast. And when you saw the second section all come up, 30.9, first half of the final mile, they were, their night was over. Their night was totally yeah. over at the back. Tear your tickets up, throw them in the bin before they even get to the bell. Now, um, let, let's analyse this a little further because it was a feature of the night. 300 large up for grabs, won by Rock and Roll Do. Yeah, I'm with you, Honolulu Bay. 
superb. There was a lot of talk about the breathing operations that he's uh, undergone and can you run him off the gate and still finish off? Well, you can. He, he was exceptional. They hammered him in betting late. And you just wonder, again, it's all hypothetical, if he does get across to the pegs, you know, but he probably has to hand up to expensive ego then, who we know um, didn't allow the other peg line runners probably, you know, ideal momentum hitting the straight once rock and roll do put expensive ego to bed. Here's my question with better Eclipse. He was really, really good. He's run third in the Victoria Cup. A wonderful effort. Starts favourite. Here's the question. Greg Sugar's had to try this at some stage, but do you look at this run and say, I'll tell you what, if they get the gun draw in their next big group one race with better Eclipse, that even if they do get a good draw, they they won't run him off the gate? Because even though he was really good, it did feel like a touch of his ping was taken away from him at the finish. Oh, 100%. But, uh, but in, in saying that, that's the first time he's had to do it. So you might find that he actually comes on from that, you you might find all of a sudden the next time they do it, he handles it a little bit better because it's not different for him. So I wouldn't be saying no, this horse can't be used. I look, Greg, you know, he looks after him to treat. He he did everything he had to, but not a millimeter more. Um, and and honestly, I, I think you'll find that as this horse goes through his, you know, career, I think they'll be able to use that gate speed more and more. You know, he's He's never really used it, especially under that sort of – in that class uh, before. And to still be there and finish it off, I mean, look, Copy, that was hard on his back and couldn't get past him. So, you know, he's he's done a good job. He's been able to hold those horses off following behind who didn't do any of that work at the start. So I wouldn't be saying that they wouldn't be using it. Copy that. Um, it, it, it is a massively improved run, though. Ray Green was keen that he had him ready to roll. It hasn't been the campaign that they wanted – Pardon me with copy that, but I will say this: if he's if he's kicking on towards uh, the Inter Dominion series, then they'll be feeling better after what happened Saturday night. Yeah, definitely, it was a much more improved run. Um, you'd certainly want to see that, especially when you've got the New Zealand Cup etc. coming along. Uh, but then again, sitting three pegs, you'd also want to be finishing, you know, at least where he did finish. If anything was getting off his back and and beating him home up the straight, you'd be a little bit disappointed, but they, they weren't able to. So that was certainly promising on his uh, part. And I'll tell you one that did get home good. I was just flicking through the times. Um, the quickest last quarter was triple eight. He really hit the line great, 26-4 home, and he was never really let go because there was no openings for him to sort of to steer towards. So he's gone up the straight under double wraps, uh, yeah, in a, in a 26-4 at the end of that. So another one who, if he gets the right run somewhere, the right barrier draw, now he's had, you know, a couple of runs under his belt, he'll be absolutely firing too. It's going to be most interesting uh, what Brendan James and Michael Stanley decide to do with Rock and Roll do heading towards the Inter-Dominion Series now that they're – their big um, short-term target is over there at Addington in the New Zealand Cup because you get the funny feeling a lot of these horses will be hoping Rock and Roll Do doesn't contest the Inter-Dominion Series. We'll be hoping that he does uh, as fans and zealots of the sport, but many will be hoping among his adversaries that he doesn't. Yeah, Triple Eight was really good. I think I think Triple Eight, we've now sort of Triple Eight out completely. He's a... He's got a really good turn of speed, has to be in the right spot in these, in these good races, but he's going to bounce off that run. That was only his second run back from a break. 
We've mentioned expensive ego is disappointing. Bulletproof boy was um, typically brave. He always beats he always beats several runners home, doesn't he? He's done so again. Uh, Mac Dan was good. I, I don't look at the sectionals the same way that you do every week, Clev. You beat um, Mac Dan overall must have must have gone okay sectionally speaking as well. Yeah, Mac Dan he got home in uh, twenty. His third quarter actually was his quickest one. He went twenty seven thirty five for his third quarter. Then home in twenty six seventy seven. So he's got home super really. I mean, his last half was clocked in fifty four point one two. So you know, as I said, his times were good. And Max Delight, you know, <laughs> Max Delight's middle half fifty six forty four into a last half of fifty three eighty seven, and you've run tenth. Like. I, I know, I, look, I backed him in the futures markets and I don't normally, or actually I've never had a futures bet. It was 100 to 1, it looked too good, but he ended up starting 100 to 1 because of the barrier draw. Um, so we got no value there and, and it sort of cost him the race. But the way he's going, he's 100 to 1 in the Inters still. He's 100 to 1 and $21. He's worth throwing your $10 each way on him at those odds because when they look at the times that he's running, if he just happens to pluck a barrier one or or something like that, then you know he's certainly going to be right up with him because his times, as I said, are, are as good and better than anything else in the field, even though he's run 10th. So um, I, I know it's, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not taking anything away from the winners or anything like that, but if you just go back and, and just dissect each horse's individual run, then sometimes a little bit like we did early in the night with Crime Rider, you can find one that's just been burning up the clock with ordinary form and you can get some really good odds about them and uh, and make a little bit of money. This is why we get so caught up in the uh, in the atlases and the maps for races because they make such a big difference. Unless, of course, you've got Rock and Roll Do, who's one of those rare horses that can make his own luck, sit parked in a grand circuit race and uh, crush his adversaries into submission. Time for the news. We'll come back and talk about yet another group one when we come back, the Pride's Easy Feed final of the Victoria Oaks. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736 One more group one to get through as we uh, review a magnificent, outstanding meeting of racing at Tabcorp Park, Melton, the home of Vicarnas Racing on Saturday night. And the Oaks was won by Encipher. And I spoke about this a couple of times on the coverage, but, you know, breeding often means a hell of a lot. Captain Treacherous, um, so much chat about, you know, the some beaches and the Captain Treacherous and that line and uh, staying prowess. But Encipher's... Uh, just a different beast. Uh, she had to do a little bit of work to find the front. Once she got there, she just dominated this race. And um, they've been screaming it from the rooftops. Like, I thought she started too short last week and this week. Last week she gets beaten. But when it gets to the big dance in the Vic Oaks final, she was too good for them. And your old mate, uh, Amelia Pediante, I thought was really, really good running second. Yeah, no, look, she went absolutely huge. I was certainly cheering her on up the straight, but uh, Encipher was just way too good. And, and, you know, congratulations to Tyson Linky. He owned and bred this filly, and uh, he's just got an absolute beauty on his hands there. It was an interesting start. Relentless Me came out running, but Petty on just be able to get across her, which I wasn't sure if she could or not. And then I think Mark just got her to relax and probably put her to sleep too well because when uh, – 
uh, Alan McDonough came around on Star Celebrity 3 wide, she just went straight to the front and he had to try to wake Amelia up, but just as I said, she was sort of half relaxed and, you know, which you want them to do over the long trip. And uh, Alan was able to then get across to the front, which then allowed, he grabbed hold straight away on Star Celebrity and allowed the winner in Siphon to then roll to the front. Elegant just got left in the breeze there, which really hurt. And it was an interesting part of the race going into the back straighter since Cypher went to the front because Amore Vita was three pegs, four pegs, sorry, um, and buried away on the fence, being probably the main danger to any of the Emma Stewart runners. And I thought, oh, he's in trouble here. But the way that it all panned out when they then allowed each horse to go to the front, Chris was able to get off the fence and... I thought, oh, that could be dangerous. But I'm not sure she ran up to her best when you look at her individual splits. She didn't seem to have that real high speed that she normally shows and uh, just wasn't wasn't able to get close enough. But in Cypher was just amazing in front. As I said, Petty on, I think she's gone to another level. She seems to be a different racehorse this time in. Amore Vita, good. Relentless me on the fence, good. Um, but, yeah, 27-6 third quarter, 27-5 home. Makes it very hard to get past the one in front. And, again, Kate Gass, she just rates them so beautifully out in front. She certainly does. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, when Petty on, uh, got out and started running it in Cypher, it was under a bit of pressure, I thought I'd back Petty onto each way at uh, a bigger price around the 850 and thought we're on here uh, with Petty on. But in Cypher's just got – has always had the eye of the tiger, a little bit of mongrel in her as well, and and she just lifted and found and kept kicking. And ultimately, the margin says two point five meters, but it, f- it felt like they could have gone another lap, and she would have she would have won. Um, she would have still won, and maybe even by further. Tyson Linky, well done to him. Um, uh, we heard from uh, Adam Hamilton on the coverage on Saturday. It was just a phone call. N- never had never met Emma Stewart and Clayton Tongan before, and just said, look. You know, would you be happy to take this awesome one? I think it's got a, a, a bit of ability. I think Emma might have said, well, you're sure it's got ability? Tyson says yes, and uh, the rest is history in Cypher. Um, is the new benchmark now. Amore Vita 12 months ago, uh, nine months ago, eight months ago was the benchmark. We still remember her mind-blowing win over Just Hope on Hunter Cup night. She's not there. This was this was the litmus test to work out, okay, are you there? You're going to get a soft trip. It's a nice draw for you. Um, you're only going to have to make one big run at them, but she's not the Amore Vita of where she was, um, you know, back in February. And before that, Petiont was good. I thought the run of Soho, Relentless Me was good, and Soho, was, her story was also good. It, it, she's just going to, well, you just need better draws in these big races. I I'm not sure whether Soho, her story is quite there with um, Insider and Petionte anyway, Clevy, but if you don't get the good draws, you never find out. And she, I don't think she could have done a hell of a lot more than she did. No, probably not. Uh, I don't think she's probably going as good as what she was when she was up in Queensland when she won the big race up there. She was really, you know, high speed flying around and, you know, she could have done what uh, Amore Vita done, but she just didn't sort of show that high toe. Amore Vita, as you say, that question mark over where she's at, Six months ago, there's no way Petiont would have given her two lengths head start at uh, the 400 and then just rounded her up, you know, by, by the top of the straight and, and on the bend too. Um, but, yeah, she just she, – she sort of had a one quick dash and just didn't find any more. Stuck on okay up the straight but just didn't really dig deep. But uh, – Hats off to the winner. She's certainly uh, a very classy filly, and as I said, I think Petiont's uh, racing at the best of her game as well. Yep, 100%. We'll move on to race 10. 
<clears throat> the penultimate on Saturday night, and it was the first of two consecutive Alabar Vic Bread Platinum homegrown classic deciders. This one for the baby boys, the two-year-old Colts and Geldings. And I'll tell you what, in these homegrown, we've got to change where they are on the calendar. Something's got to happen because the homegrown was originally inaugurated, these series, for the second tier uh, two- and three-year-olds that couldn't quite mix it with the big boys and girls. Well, I'll tell you what, the first and second horses in this race – They'll be mixing it with everyone at the end of the year, Clevy. Yeah, no, that was an amazing race. It uh, it's scary when you see two year olds running a mile rate of one fifty two five. You know, twenty six six going down the back straight, home in twenty eight two. Like that is absolutely humming, and not just the first two. From first to sixth, they all ran miles of one fifty three or better. Um, like that's just amazing. You know, they just running times that you just never used to see before. But uh, school captain, another captain treacherous, um, just an amazing breed that what he's done for our our breeding captain treacherous uh, out of a better's delight mare. I mean, I suppose that's probably the golden cross. So Loris and Bloodstock doing their usual and breeding very good horses and the lost storm also. You just lose no admirers sitting outside the leader running those times. It's uh, it's an unbelievable effort to to just still be there, let alone, uh, you know, go down half a length. Yeah, well, as you've spoken about, you know, with several of the races from Saturday night, the Lost Storms had to cover all that extra ground and just coming to the turn, just wanted to knuckle down and keep getting after school captain. So the Lost Storm was absolutely outrageously good. But I will say this for school captain. I mean, that is start number two. My, my concern for school captain going into this race was that everyone was saying, well, uh, Nathan Jack's going to lead. And I thought to myself, uh, that sounds good on paper, but he'll want to be very good because if you're going to run him off the gate and he's going to be, be stared down most of this race by a two-year-old um, with the opinion that Emma Stewart and Clayton Tonkin have of the lost storm, I thought... Gee, this could this might not work out, but school captains just they're both they're both pretty special, I think. I mean, Rosanna Rebel, you've spoken about back in the field. Little Louie, I've got an opinion of already. I've had it in the black book for a long time. It'll run some nice races at, at a very high level going forward towards the end of the year. But uh, these two are going to have some great clashes. They might be, and we always wait and find out towards the end of the year. But there's every indication these are the top two, and they're going to have some outstanding clashes in coming weeks. Yeah, 100%. You look at the gap between them, I think you'll find third, fourth, fifth and sixth, they go into any other race, they'll probably be winning next start. They've just got to get away from these two because these two are just so dominantly good. Um, and going forward, it's, you know, I mean, obviously there's going to be a few to come that we maybe haven't seen yet, but to do what both of those have done off just, you know, their second start and their fourth race start to to lead and run those times and to sit outside the other horse and run those times. It, it's just amazing, but it's, it's great to see because, you know, we've got a bright, bright future. And like you say, this summer carnival, I, every week we get closer to it. I think I get more excited about it. And the final race in the card, um, great story, great narrative. Charlene Goodman takes her first Metropolitan Drive and wins at uh, Group 2 level in the Homegrown Classic Final for the Baby Girls. And this uh, this breed of her, she's Norma Jean. They haven't all won $100 million, but they've all been lovely horses. All my savings, $50,000, five wins. She's always dreaming, $40,000, six wins. Six wins also for Lola Montez and also a tick over $50,000 in prize money. But it's these two of the latest ones. He's Charlie's Angels, still got a very big future ahead of him. And based on what we saw 
Saturday night. I know this uh, Phillies division wasn't anywhere near as strong as the Colts and Geldings, but Clive's girl might be the best of the she's, Norma Jean Progeny. Um, again, start number two, winning at feature race level. Great turn of speed. lot to like about her, Steve. Yeah, no, absolutely. As you say, the breed's done a fantastic job. He's Charlie's Angels, a very nice horse. I think Clive's girl's got a little bit more to show before I'd be giving it the mantle over that bloke, but um, she's certainly on the right path. You know, she's she's doing what she needs to do. She had a lovely trip leader's back. She was able to hold MJB's back uh, early. There was a little bit of pace on. They sat up through the middle stages, but uh, when the gap came, um, as Charlene said in her interview, she goes, at the top of the straight, I just said to myself, don't stuff it up. And I tell you what, she didn't stuff it up. She punched through really well. She drove it out 50 metres to go. She knew she had it won. And, uh, yeah, you could see the, the salute after the line, which was great to see. And congratulations to Charlie. You know, she's uh, she's worked hard. She, she, you know, she's not in this full time. She she has her outside job. She does her horses and as well. And, uh, yeah, she's had a terrific broodmare that's, you know, she's having a lot of fun with its progeny. Yeah, amazing, amazing story to finish the night. Um, Lucy and Jay, a little bit disappointing. MJB, good. Joyful, good. Alana Mickey's uh, improving. Yeah, Lucy and Jay was the, the disappointment of the race. And maybe to a slight degree delightful, Tammy, because I thought I think they had a really good opinion of her. But all honours go to the winner, Clive's Gill. Time for our final break when we return. Steve Cleve's Black Bookers for the future from this Victoria Cup card on Saturday night. Stick with us. Welcome back to the Monday Metrospective on SEN Track. Text us on 0499 736-736. What a great tune. What a great tune. Um, a tick under two minutes to go. Uh, Cleavy, before I let you go, uh, different spelling, but GA Cleave just won the previous race in the New Zealand Dogs, so nice synergy there. Uh, I, want you, I want you one or two, I mean, I think they'll be relatively obvious, but you're one or two highlights of the night, and also your black bookers, please, brother. Okay, well, the highlights of the night, I mean, you can't go past, uh, you know, the, the major group one races, I think, and Saif was very good, then Leap to Fame was brilliant, but Rock and Roll Do, I think, was by far the, the highlight of the night to do what he did, to sit parked and, and win so dominantly, I think it was brilliant and to, to know that we've now got another massive star on our cards, you know, stepping up and really leading the way, just as I said, just adds to the excitement of our summer carnival coming forward, especially with the Inner Dominion in our own backyard this year. We'd love to see a Victorian win it. And uh, if he keeps going forward the way he is, he's going to be very hard to beat. And with the Black Bookers, I've got some Black Bookers and some horses to follow. So you can either decide which way you want to put them in. But race two, Naratak Prince, run last, but absolutely smash the clock. He's a definite Black Booker. Uh, race three, you can't really black book treachery because, you know, I mean, she's going to be racing in these races, but she's the one that you have to follow out of that race. So she was just absolutely off the clock. Race five, our millionaire, he was just brilliant uh, in defeat. He, he did all the bullock and work up through wide, carting him into it, smashed the clock as well, 55.96, and only just got beat. Race six, uh, this is coming out of the derby. There's three to go in here, interest-free was amazing. 152.5. He ran his three halves in 57, 56, 55. Rip 
And also Kafaji was huge. He's gone 152.6 home in 55.4. He'll find his right race soon. Max Delight, you have to follow. Petto have to follow. And, of course, school captain and the lost storm are going to be excellent going forward. So they're my black bookers and horses to follow. Hopefully we can find some nice winners leading into a normal Metropolitan race next Saturday night, followed by the Geelong Cup the Saturday night after. Fun as always, uh, Cleveland. It's only the start. We know we've got so much big racing action to come. New Zealand Cup will be following rock and roll, do from an Australian perspective. Then we've got the Vic Bread Super Series, the Breeders' Crown and the Inter-Dominion. Well done, mate. Thanks, Brian. You have a good day.